Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. This is Terry, but we're obviously not on the fan this morning. There was a college football game, so we got bumped over to our sister station, ESPN 1600. We will be here next week, too, and then we should be back at our regular time, 9 to 11, on the fan after that. Although I think we have a couple games in November. Once we get through that, we're pretty stable through the winter at our 9 to 11 on 104.3. Let's go to the phones. And joining us uh, from Colorado Clays, Colorado's premier shooting establishment, is J.R. Pierce. Good morning, J.R. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you doing today? Uh, doing very well, Terry. Actually, uh fortunate enough to uh, be involved in a little fishing tournament so really enjoying that for a change i think you're just playing hooky is what's going on but yeah i'm trying to make you jealous here. yeah i know i know hey you know seriously though colorado clays offers somebody no matter what discipline of shooting you do you've got the rifle and pistol range that we talk about so much that are uh, incredible you've got the shotgun patterning and then you've got skeet trap and I think you've got training trap and wobble trap. I may be getting leaving something out or getting one wrong, but you really have something for every discipline. So you really get to see and interact with a variety of shotgun shooters, don't you? Uh, yeah, Terry. So we, we have tens of thousands of our Colorado outdoors folks come out and visit us every year. And yes, a wide variety of people, a wide variety of reasons they come to Colorado plays because we do serve everyone for pretty much anything they need, but uh, also see a very wide variety of firearms and uh, have accumulated a lot of knowledge as far as um, what guns work and how and what people's opinions of are. And the next few weeks, we're actually going to cover different uh, aspects of shooting. And today we're going to kind of dive into shotguns and maybe not tell you which one to buy, but kind of give you some ideas about what the advantages and disadvantages are. And people are going to buy shotguns for waterfall hunting they're going to buy them for turkey hunting they're going to buy them for upland game hunting they're going to buy them for self-defense and of course they're going to buy them for just recreational shooting and competitive shooting like clay sporting clays and trap and skeet so it, you really have to understand what you're going to use the shotgun for don't you yeah terry that's really the first question a person needs to ask is what do i have a specific use for this gun do I, am i looking for a gun that will cover Many different things, as you mentioned, home defense, hunting, recreational, competitive, uh, and then make your decision based on what you think you will be using the firearm for. Very important uh, before you you know pull the trigger, so to speak, on making a purchase. Let's kind of go through some of the different shotguns. Probably the simplest is a break-action shotgun, and those could be a single barrel, an over-under, a side-by-side and like when I was young, I started with a single shot break action shotgun. That was my first shotgun. Uh, do you still see a lot of those? And what are the advantages and disadvantages? Well, yeah, Terry. So being a you know a clay shooting establishment like we are, we we do see lots of break guns. And you know a break gun is literally uh, how it functions. So generally, at a point about a third of the way up from the back of the gun to the front. With the push of a release lever, the the firearm will literally break open on a hinge point 
exposing the barrels on one side and the firing pin or pins on the other. And this is really the most simple and reliable type of gun. Uh, Brake guns will come in many versions from single barrel, uh, double barrels, like you said, meaning over and under where the barrels are stacked and side-by-side types. Now, most of the modern single barrel ones are kind of trap specific guns. And although they can be used for hunting and different things, the lack of magazine capacity uh, or being limited to one shot makes them more specific to the trap shooting world. Some of the older single barrel ones um, were just the simplicity and how they did things. And although they will work, uh, they won't keep up with the modern uh, single barrel guns as far as uh, just being accurate and easy to use. The side-by-side type shotgun, Terry, is mostly noticed that more of a nostalgic type thing. So a lot of the folks, you know, want to go on the the European hunts, got to have a side-by-side. And they're very usable, but they are inherently less accurate, if you can use that word on a shotgun, for for many reasons. Largely, the sight picture, um, meaning when you're looking down the barrel, barrel stacked side-by-side is a big um, hindrance in your sight picture and then the way the gun is held due to the way the barrels are stacked it is not nearly as comfortable and natural going into the shoulder so although they will work they are kind of limited uh, you do every now and again you'll see and especially in the movies one of the side-by-side sawed off and some people just like the look of that and think that's cool for home defense but it's really uh, kind of a limited thing um, the over and under style, now those are fantastic guns. They are very simple. They are very accurate, customizable, um, but they're they're um, not as easy to cross um, uses with, meaning uh, they're not so much designed to be a multifunction gun. Most of the over-unders are going to be for shooting clay targets uh, or hunting something to that effect. They can be used for home defense. They will cross over, but they are bigger and bulkier and harder to get down to a usable size for home defense. So the the over-under out of the break-action guns is really the best choice, and particularly if you're going to be shooting clays for recreation, competition, or hunting. Yeah, and you've got to remember, if you use it for hunting, you're going to be limited to two shells, which in some cases isn't an issue, but they are probably the number one choice for shooting clays. How about the one that I see is probably the most popular with beginners for good reason, and that's the pump? Yeah, so the pump, and uh, that really, the for people who may or may not be familiar, um, all of the mechanical motions, such as opening and closing the action, Cycling rounds from the magazine into the chamber are achieved by the operator of the firearm sliding the forearm of the gun back towards the stock of the gun and forward again towards the front of the gun in that familiar pumping motion, thus the name pump. Now, many types and styles uh, with many applications ranging from the home defense hunting, recreational, competitive, uh, are available. And pump-action shotguns are known for being very reliable due to the simplicity of their design uh they tolerate you know dirty and extreme environments well which the hunters really like uh you can get by with less cleanings and still have the gun function very well uh one thing and we've talked about this terry one of the causes of that is you do need to manually cycle the gun between shots so if there's any issue with that sometimes um 
you can get a short cycle. And I think anybody who's used a pump has seen that. When you're uh, wadded up with clothes hunting, get in a hurry, don't pay attention, you can actually uh, do a short cycle and not eject around and screw up a shot sequence. Now, the, sh- the pump gun probably is one of the most versatile platforms out there. And what I mean by that, Terry, is you can buy uh, one, of the, one of the base pump guns and you can have a hunting barrel, meaning a barrel that has removable and interchangeable chokes, which, you know, is good if you're going to be patterning for turkeys or waterfowl. Um, now, you can also, with the simple uh, spin of a nut, put on a rifled barrel for, say, shooting slugs at deer. Uh, you can spin on and put a barrel that has a very short barrel for home defense. Um, and the stocks come in a variety of um, configurations, too, some with pistol grips, uh, some will fold, some will retract. And uh, this is very handy because you can literally go from the shooting range or from the field hunting back home, fold your stock, put on a short barrel, and have a pistol grip home defense gun. And this is a very economical way to have multiple uh, guns with multiple uses in one package. Uh, a lot of them have lots of different sight mounts and options. And I think one of the really big things to consider, too, with the pump, Terry, is uh, as other guns go, they are very affordable. So if your budget is a consideration in the purchase, definitely look at that pump gun. Well, and I like the pump gun for a couple reasons. You mentioned one, reliability. They're just, other than, of course, the brake action is pretty simple, but of all the multiple action guns with magazines, the pump action just, if you cycle it right, it's going to work and it's reliable. Second of all, I see a lot of new hunters, which we're going to talk about a semi-auto one here in a minute. A lot of new hunters will fire that second shot without getting their sight picture back. When you have to pump the gun between shots, it forces you to bring the gun back into your sight picture. And I think it makes you a better shooter in the long run, even if you eventually go to a, a different gun. And like you said, the... Um, the cost that you can get into them reasonable. Some of the best names. And by the way, we're not sponsored by any particular shotgun company. We're doing this as general as possible, but you can get into the pump gun for probably the, a really good, reliable one for the lowest point on your budget. What about the semis? Well, Terry, the semi-automatics, um, uh, as far as that gun, with the exception of manually opening the chamber, uh, yourself, all of the mechanical operations of that firearm, meaning the opening and closing of the chamber, rounds, cycling from the magazine to the chamber, and so forth, are achieved either by springs or by converting the energy created by the discharge of the firearm into these, you know, mechanical motions. And, you know, although the modern semi-autos are much more reliable than older generations, they are not generally considered to be quite as reliable as the brake action and pump types of guns. Uh, semis also have a great variety of models and applications available, but generally with a higher price point than the pump for similar uses. Now, one great benefit of the semi-auto is less felt recoil versus other types, because as we said, that energy that is developed during a shot is used to cycle the gun rather than coming straight through the firearm to the operator. So although very customizable, uh, the quick change can be more complicated depending on the model of semi you have. So you should really check that out before you move on. Um, A good gunsmith can certainly tell you uh, a wealth of information with a simple phone call. Um, Again, Terry, the 
the real benefit of the semi-auto is the fact that even though you're not forced to necessarily slow down your shot, you're also not going through that big mechanical uh, motion with your arm that can pull the gun off the target. So uh, do the benefits outweigh, uh, you know, the pros outweigh the cons? That's going to be up to the individual. Um, But uh, semis nowadays are a very good choice as well. It's like, say, slightly more expensive and maybe not quite as customizable for multiple applications. Last thing before we run out of time, a lot of people have hand-me-down shotguns. Grandpa had one. Dad had one. Some of them are even bolt-action, which I don't think you hardly see that you can buy new anymore. You may. And some of them are break-action. But you have to be very careful before you take those out in the field or even shoot them the first time, don't you? Yeah, Terry. And, you know, uh, as, as I was just saying, and with any gun, if you're not sure about the function, if it's something you inherited or purchased, um, you know, secondhand, certainly the very best thing to do is to get a qualified gunsmith to check the gun out. Now, as far as the bolt action guns, yes, we do see them, but they are not uh, set up to be as usable as the more modern guns. They will function, and a person can get used to using them. Uh, don't necessarily not recommend them, but if you're going to spend any money, you would be better off buying a used, uh, more modern, uh, higher-level gun than an older bolt gun because uh, you could real easily be disappointed. They are very slow, they're heavy, and uh, inherently tough to work with. And the last comment I want to make, and um, and that's about the fact that Older guns, a lot of them weren't designed for the new shot. You know, we've got lead shot being replaced by heavy metals and steel in a lot of our hunting applications, especially. And a lot of guns just aren't designed to handle that. And you really need to find out if that gun can handle those types of shot before you even attempt to shoot them. Absolutely, Terry. And we do see a lot of that. Uh, And pretty much without fail, any of those old bolt type guns we were talking about are going to have a barrel with a fixed choke, not designed for steel ammo. And even some of the other, even more modern guns that have a fixed only choke, uh, you really got to be careful and make sure those barrels were made for use with steel. And again, if there is any question, find a qualified person uh, to make that decision for you. We are out of time, but if people want more information, by the way, we do need to cover chokes. I think we'll work that into two weeks from now when we cover this again. And I think that's probably almost a segment by itself when people are trying to make decisions. But um, if people want more information, they want to get a hold of you, how do they do it, JR? Give us a call, 303-659-7117, or go to our website, coloradoclays.com. Look us over, take the virtual tour, uh, see what our facility looks like. And again, by all means, uh, come see us, Terry. We'd love to have you. All right, my friend, go ahead and do your fishing thing. Thank you, my friend. I'll send you pictures. Yeah, you always do. JR from Colorado. <laughs> JR from Colorado Clays. Great people. Just great people. We're going to continue helping you pick out guns over the next few weeks talking about it. Speaking of helping you, our dog trainer, Ben Garcia, is going to be on our next segment. And we're going to start helping you with your dog training questions right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. 65 years of serving the outdoor public. They have 
locations up and down the Front Range. If you're an outdoor enthusiast or if you were listening to our shotgun segment just before this and got excited about buying a gun, you won't find a better place to go. Check them out. You'll be pleasantly surprised. Let's go to the phones. And joining us, our dog training expert who joins us every other week from Hideaway Kennels, Ben Garcia. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Terry. How are you, sir? I am doing great. And before we get started and what we want to talk about today, I want to remind people that you want their questions. Uh, they have to have their questions in by the 12th of October, and they can put their question into us uh, by going to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and there's a pin to the top of the page. There's a, a post where they can just make a comment that's their question, or they can email me at terrywickstromoutdoors at gmail.com. And then we're going to even regard and you can even duplicate a question because that gives us an understanding that it's a more there's a lot of interest in it. But everybody that gives us a question either way is going into a drawing and they're going to win either um, a $50 gift card from Colorado Clays. It'll be their choice or a three free oil changes at Prestige uh, Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Longmont. And I know both of these places are near and dear to your heart. Oh, they're both great places. Yeah, great, great people at both facilities for sure. Yeah, so, so we're lo- we're looking forward to getting the questions and being able to answer some some questions for folks that they may have. Oh, I I agree, and you it's been going so well. People are really responding. They're loving our our dog training segment. You've done a great job, so I love having it on. But what's today? Now today, you said you and I talked earlier in the week. You said a lot of people they're new to hunting or they're new to having a hunting dog, and they right. they may they may have a, a a a one a pointer or a flushing type dog, and they don't know how to react when there's birds. Is that right? Yeah, and and it's something we we like to talk to people about and, and recognize their breed and what they have, and and just some little tips to help you out and making sure you're harvesting birds when your dog does all the work for you and finds that bird. So, for sure. So how do you approach it, and what are the differences? Yeah, so on like a pointing dog, once the dog establishes point, what you really want to do is walk outside of the dog and come to the front so your dog sees you. Um, you know, I always talk about it. There's a peripheral vision in a dog, and there's fight, flight, or freeze, right? So if you walk right up your dog's uh, backside, they don't know who's coming up behind them, and, and it's, it's a startling moment, and it could throw them off a point. So what I really like to do, if my dog's on point, I either swing way out to the right, way out to the left, and I actually do like a hook back around. So one, they can see me coming in to flush the bird. And two is I may cut off that bird from running. So like if I have a pheasant or a scale quail that I know is going to push out once my dog's on point, I'll make a big sweep out, come in front of them, let the dog see me so the dog doesn't move forward on the bird by the way I'm walking, flush the bird, get a shot, and then send the dog for the retrieve. The other thing that does, Terry, is it ultimately keeps the dog behind the gun. So um, if you're in front of the the, the dog and you shoot, the dog's back behind the gun. So a little bit of a safety tip there on pointers. And uh, you just don't want to walk up their rear end when they're on point. You want to come around where they see you. You can make eye contact with them. They can have eye contact with you and follow the command and know the situation. Um, The other one we see on flushing dogs, which is is just a really bad habit people do, is their flusher will get busy. You know, I mean, you've seen it. You've hunted enough. When a flushing dog's on a bird, their tail's going a million miles an hour. They're going around everywhere looking for the bird, and the hunter actually will stop and, and not move. And what that does is it puts a gap between the dog and the, and the hunter of 20, 30 yards, and by the time that bird gets up, it's 60, 70 yards up. 
And, you know, we'll hear people complain like, hey, I just didn't have a shot because my got, dog got out too far. And it's really not the truth. The, the dog was in range. They just didn't move with them. You know, so if you see your dog getting busy, you see your dog following something, move with them. I mean, you want to slide with them. You don't want to push them out of the area, but you definitely want to pay attention to what your dog's doing if you have a flushing dog because they're going to follow that bird and they're putting pressure on that bird to go up. And, and the bird's going to run a little bit before it goes up. So just a little tip to help people there, depending on the breed they have of how to get that bird harvested for sure. Now, is it pretty much whether it's a pointer or a flushing dog, is it breed specific or training specific or is there some crossover? Well, I think, I mean, I think, you know, do dogs all have genetics to point? Yeah. Do dogs all have genetics to retrieve? Yeah. But, you know, like range and turning with you and all, that's your training. That's all the homework you should have been doing this summer. So it's not unfamiliar to your dog. You know, if you, if you have a dog, regardless of the breed that you haven't done anything with since last March, and you get them out there on one of these weekends to go hunting now that we're in hunting season, you can expect what you put into it, which is the dog's not going to do a thing that you want, you know, but if you did your homework of, working on quartering, working on your range, working on your woes and your sit and stays, all that plays back into the result you're getting now, which is, I believe is your training that you put into it. You know, another situation that develops when you're in the field, especially with pheasants and quail and upland game, uh, and even even uh, grouse uh, is the fact that right. a, a, a bird gets shot, it's down, it may be just, it may be down or it may be just winged or wounded and it may be moving and people really can make a lot of mistakes in that situation. Or, or if they have multiple birds, you know, I mean, if you got like two roosters down, you know, and um, so what I, we were just talking about yesterday out on a hunt is we, we hit a rooster, it went down and um, the owner completely, the dog completely lost track of the wind, just being excited that the dog pointed a rooster and, and started walking towards the bird and then thought he knew where the bird went down tried to wreck the dog into it, but completely lost his wind and completely didn't realize the bird had ran another 20 yards after he hit it and then, and then passed away or died, you know? So what we, what we recommend doing is if you shoot a bird, it goes down, your dog didn't have a mark on it is back up, you know, just like your elk hunting, deer hunting back up, look at your wind, look at where you saw the bird go down, go back 60 yards and then go into the wind and quarter into that bird where it's down. So that way your dog has a chance to smell it. Um, the thing I see owners doing, especially a lot of new owners, is they'll have a bird down and they'll put themselves between the dog and the bird and tell the dog to look for a dead bird. But they're ultimately blocking the scent of that bird. So really what you want to do is back up, give your dog a chance to work, go back 60, 70 yards and just quarter slowly into that wind in the area where it went down. And it increases your chances so much of finding your bird because it gives your dog the chance you want, you know, and, and we always talk about Terry is we do all these strategies for elk hunting, for deer hunting, you know, or antelope hunting. And we seem to just ignore a lot of it with, with bird hunting and wind direction is everything. You know, when you get into what we call scent cone, which is where the scent's coming off of, the bird and the dog has a chance to work that area. That's ultimately what you're doing on that down bird is you're backing up, giving your dog a chance to get in that scent cone and find the bird. Right. Those are great tips, especially, you know, with upland game coming and, uh, uh, and of course the waterfall seasons are starting and we're going to keep hitting on a lot of these points over the next few weeks, but we really do want to get people's questions, Ben. And, and I, I think I know you're really looking forward. You asked me to get, go out and get questions from people, and you really want people to people go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. You'll see a post that's pinned to the top of that page, and 
put in the comment your question. If you have more than one question, put in separate comments because that'll like, get you in the drawing twice. And even right. if it's a repeat question, we want you to send it out there. If you don't have Facebook and you're listening to this, you can send your question to me at terrywickstromoutdoors at gmail.com. And then I think the questions have to be in by the 12th. And then that following Saturday, you're going to start addressing these questions. And we may not get to all of them the first week, so we'll continue it on. So I think this is going to be great because people, you know, so many people acquired dogs over this COVID period. And a lot of them are struggling. Right. So right. I, I think. Especially now a, that everybody's going back to work, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and balancing out with their dogs of weekends and trying to jam it in on top of the hunting season, you know, and, and, and um, those scenarios that popped up that we weren't in a year ago. So. Ben. Uh, and it may not be a question, Terry. It may, sorry, excuse me. It may not be a question that because you're having problems, it may just be something you're curious about, you know, that we can definitely help out and answer on, on dog training or dogs. Yeah, you you bet. That's exactly right. And Ben, if people just want to get a hold of you to find out about your training and where, how do they find you? Yeah, they can find us on Facebook at Hideaway Kennels or on um, our webpage, which is HideawayKennels.com, and send us an email. We'll happily get in touch with them. All right. All right, my friend. We will talk to you in a couple weeks, and we'll start answering questions. Great. Have a great weekend, Terry. Thank you for the time. You bet. That's Ben Garcia, our dog training expert. What a great guy he is. We love working with him. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, Brad Peterson's going to join us, and we're going to talk fishing and waterfall hunting right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1600 ESPN. James Taylor. I'm actually going to go see him in New Orleans in just a couple weeks. Love his music. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. Let's go to the phones, and joining us is Brad Peterson from Brad Peterson Outdoors. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. You know, you cover a lot of uh, different activities. You know, you're well embedded in the fishing industry. You do a lot of uh, tournament fishing and guiding and, of course, work for fishermen for years. And then you you guide for waterfall hunting. In addition, you used to run the calling contest. So we really appreciate having you on. I want to cover both. I want to get some fishing tips from you. What's going on, especially in the north and northeast part of Colorado for walleyes and warm water species. But let's start out with waterfall. It started in some parts of the state actually today. Is that right? Yeah, the, um, the mountain zone, mountain foothill zone started today. And this weekend is the youth weekend for the Northeast Zone. So there's some activity going on kind of in both, two of our three central region zones. And then I'm, I'm not too familiar with the Pacific Flyway, but I think that's starting up here pretty soon as well. So, you know, we've got a lot of opportunities to get out there. And uh, right now is if you're getting excited, if you're a duck hunter, this is an exciting time of year. Let's put it that way. You know, we had um, Scott Riston from Schweitzer Lake State Park, and they opened, um, I believe they opened today, or maybe it's next week, but they he claims that from now through almost the end of November, between resident and migratory ducks, he said it's almost impossible if you're any kind of a shot at all not to get a limit at one of their reservable areas. Um, but there are areas closer to home you can reserve, too, if you're looking for a place to hunt, aren't there? Yeah, there definitely are. Uh, there, the the uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife has done a really good job 
getting access or purchasing land along the South Platte River from basically all about Wiggins, Fort Morgan area out east. So there's a lot of open access areas, and then there's some in there that are reservation. Now, I'm guessing that most of them are probably already reserved for opener because you can reserve those two weeks ahead. But if you want to get ready and call on Monday, you're going to be able to get in for that second weekend of duck season. And the hunting in those can be some of the best in this, you know, in that whole area because it's managed for quality waterfowl with limited amount of pressure. So if I was going to be looking, a couple of those that I kind of would be looking at would be the Andrick State Wildlife Area. That's by Jackson Reservoir. Uh, Brush Prairie Ponds, which is right in that brush area. And then if you want to go out further east, uh, Tamarack along the river there, even though it is river, there is a lot of sloughs, and they get ducks early in that area. So those would kind of be the three that I really would look at for reservation opportunities. And if you want one real close, um, there is a Banner Lakes right there in Hudson, and that can be real good, and that's that's only about a 45-minute drive from the Denver metro area. And I'm not 100% sure, but I think Bar Lake has some also, and they're right next to the metro area. So there are opportunities. You just have to get on Parks and Wildlife site and look. Um, this early in the year, are we going to be seeing mostly resident ducks, Brad? And what, what do you think that situation is? Or what about migratory birds? You know, typically we were mainly ta- having the opportunity for resident birds this early in the season. But the last cold front that came in there's pockets of areas that some widgeons and gabbles have moved in i know kind of that uh windsor you know upper front range area some birds have moved in and uh, i'm hearing rumors of a few out there further east as well so we might be getting a handful our first push of migratory birds but the vast majority are going to be locals but the next front that comes in i would expect to see you know, our first real push of those widgeons, gadwalls, the early migrating ducks, a few more teal come down. And it's just going to make for a really good, uh, you know, October, November. This is this is probably one of my favorite times of the year to get out and duck hunt. Well, that's something that people need to realize, that the resident birds kind of get educated after a couple of weeks. Not that you can't be successful with them, but the hunting isn't necessarily the best right up front even. I mean, as those waves of ducks come in, as the weather changes, uh, you can have some of the best hunting later in the year. You definitely can, and, and that's what I really like about the uh, the October, November, is every time we get a cold front, we get a push of new ducks. And, you know, they might be widgeons, they might be mallards, you know, and they could be coming from Wyoming or Montana or, or Canada, but we keep getting fresh ducks in. Then once you kind of get towards the later part of the season, a lot of times those migratory birds have pretty much all pushed down. So you're hunting birds that are familiar with the area, know where hunting pressure is, and so it's a lot more educated birds. So if you want to get out, you're a new hunter. This uh, from about you know the 20th of October to about the 10th of November for the people that want to hunt the still water, the little ponds. This is the best time of year to get out there, and if you're a new hunter, your chance of success is probably going to be the highest on those ponds, you know, during that period. Do I need a pretty big decoy set to hunt these ponds and even some of the bigger lakes? That's one of the nice things about the ponds. The ponds, you can get away with a lot smaller decoys. 
you know, one to two dozen is enough to get the attention and kind of bring the birds over to your area. When you start hunting the bigger lakes, you're either going to need to do some scouting and find out where the birds want to go and hunt the X. So you're hunting where they're already coming to, and you're using your few decoys just to convince them to come right to you. If you're not right on the X, then you are going to need a little bit bigger spread to kind of persuade those birds to come over to where you are. So that's that's one of the pluses of either hunting the the ponds or the little offshoot backwater sloughs of the river is you can get by with fewer decoys. So if that is a limitation, target those areas where you have a higher chance of being successful. What about the rivers? As the still water starts to freeze, the ducks are going to transition to the rivers. Do you do a different decoy setup when you switch to the rivers? I do a little bit different decoy setup in that I I typically am using about the same number of decoys. You can get by with a dozen to two dozen is real popular, you know. But with the river, the the trick is following the current, seeing where there's the, the calmer water or the backwater areas. That's where the ducks like to sit. And sometimes where you're able to hide, there isn't one area to maybe put out two dozen decoys. So what you do is you find an area that is behind a sandbar and you put six out there and you got another piece that's maybe behind a log and you put three, you know, right there. And so you may spread your decoys out a little bit more in the area just to look natural and draw those birds in because you don't want to fill up that area right close to you where you want them to land. So sometimes I even put those decoys just a little bit further to fill up an area out of range that maybe they want to land and make the area that uh, I'm hunting a little bit more attractive and comfortable for them to land in. Last question before we move on to some fishing, and that's about calling. Uh, we got a lot of new hunters or inexperienced hunters because they took it up during COVID. Um, is, how important is calling early in the year, and does it change as we get into the season? You know, early in the year, I don't think it's as important when the birds know exactly where they want to go. That first weekend, everyone wants to get out there and blow their duck call, and, you know, they're all excited about it, and that's great. And I'm sure it convinces a few birds, but if you're in the right spot, you're going to probably be just as successful if you don't even pick up your duck call. As you start getting those waves of migrating birds in, these are birds that aren't familiar with the area. So they're looking for not only other birds to land with, but, uh, you know, other birds and to hear where the birds are. And that's when the calling really is important. So as you're getting those fresh birds in, that's that's when I say that calling really excels. And then when the birds get stale or have been here a while, that's when the experienced callers, you know, who pay attention and are able to read the birds and know how much calling they want on a given day are going to be more successful. So if you're new to calling, you know, practice now. You know, opening day, you can use it. You're not going to scare too many birds away. And then as these birds keep moving in, it's able to get the practice and get you the confidence for when the birds get a little bit tougher later in the year. And All right. If people want to want to take a look, I am going to be doing a couple seminars coming up uh, later on, at least one I know of for sure, later in October that we're going to be talking about some duck calling. So if they pay attention to my Facebook page at Brad Peterson Outdoors, I'll be giving an update on the time and location for that if they want to 
learn how to be a better duck caller. All right, that sounds great. Now let's change things up real quick while we have some time. I know you also guide for fishing on the Front Range in the Northeast. What's going on? Let's start with the Northeast Lakes. Are many of them still available? Is there water, boat ramps? You know, the Northeast Lakes become real challenging this time of year. Jackson, the boat ramp, has been shut down. Um, I would guess that Pruitt is, and if not, they restrict your boating access as soon as uh, duck season opens up. And Jumbo is, again, another one that's probably going to be low and has a little bit of limited access with duck season. So when you're looking kind of in the northeast, the two predominant lakes for this time of the year are going to be Sterling. And then I guess there's a few more along the front range. You have your Horse Tooth, your Carter, and your Boyd are going to kind of those front range lakes. If you want to go out northeast, you want to go out to Sterling, or if you want to travel a little further, McConaughey, the spooning bite's doing real good, and the same thing is going on up at Glendo. So if you want to travel a little further, there are some other options. Well, and you're absolutely right. That spooning bite, or it can be with blade baits and jigging wraps too, we're going to see that up and down the front range start taking off as the water cools. Um, and even Boyd between walleyes and white bass, what are you seeing at Boyd? Is the water cool enough where we're seeing that bite take place? You know, we're just getting there. About 10 days ago, the lake was still up in the 70s. And early this week, we're dropping down into the mid-60 range. So with this week looking like we're bare, we're going to be in the upper 70s with lows down in the 40s up in that Loveland area. I really think that that, uh, that spooning, jigging wrap, blade bait bite for both the walleyes and the white bass are going to be taken off. I know um, a buddy was out there yesterday and really got into the white bass and a few of the holdover trout. You know, that's, that's one thing. I know you've talked about it with Ronnie before, that Boyd's a lake that's deep enough that it holds over a good number of trout throughout the summer. And there's a lot of those 16 to 19-inch rainbows that got stocked early in the year or maybe even last fall, that are going to become more active as the water cools. So you have a chance at catching a real quality rainbow and, you know, some white bass and walleyes. And then CPW is starting stocking a bunch of our lakes throughout the area. So the shore anglers who want to go chase uh, stocker rainbows are going to have that opportunity in, you know, a lot of the front range lakes and down in the Denver metro area. Well, and I think a lot of those uh, the stocked lakes – uh, are really, um, they offer such a great opportunity for the weekend angler right now. And it's not the la- only the lakes. So Karen and I, by the way, got into a bunch of nice rainbows on horse tooth. We actually went out to do the jigging wrap type bite for deep bass, and we couldn't get them to go. They were really deep. We just couldn't hold over them very well. The wind was blowing. So we we decided to troll a little bit and we had a spoon and a crankbait on and the trout were just smacking it. We weren't trolling very deep and we were out over the middle of the lake. We weren't close to shore, but those are taking off and the water there was about 65. As that water gets down around 60 degrees, shore anglers in not only lakes, but a lot of small lakes like Flatiron and uh, St. Vrain area, uh, the ponds there it's going to be just better and better and if you look at the stocking report you can find areas they want you to go catch those and it can be phenomenal action oh it absolutely can and one thing a lot of people don't think about is you know if you're a shore angler and you want to target some big fish the full moon in the fall 
provides a great opportunity to chase big fish in the low light periods, either get there a couple hours before sunrise or stay, you know, from sunset till 11 o'clock or midnight. Um, You're going to catch some of the biggest fish of the year with that full moon. And just what I recommend is if you've got a pair of waders, wear your waders where you can get out just a little bit deeper and you want to just catch a slow, steady presentation. So whether that's a jerk bait style lure that you can cast and slow retrieve or gentle tugs, you know, not, not really aggressive or like a jig and a a paddle tail plastic or a twister, you're going to have on those full moons, you're going to have big walleye, big bass, big trout, all cruising those shorelines and feeding heavily. So that's coming up in a couple weeks. If you're thinking about, or if you're a shore angler and you want to get out to catch some big fish, that's going to provide a great opportunity coming up. Last question before I let you go. You mentioned the white bass at Boyd. I really love getting into them. I haven't heard about a surface bite there yet, or at least there's been a little bit of a boil, but not not consistent. Uh, The white bass you've heard getting caught out there, are they on the surface or are they down deeper? Most of them have been down deeper. I have had a few days where there's boils going on, but the boils this year haven't been the big extended boils that you see a lot of years. What you're seeing is you're seeing a a boil come up for a minute, maybe two minutes. And the best thing to do if you're out in a boat with that is kind of work your way over there and then turn off your motor and just kind of fan cast that area. And you should be able to get into fish for, you know, five, ten minutes after that boil disappears. And once you kind of pay attention, you're going to see there are certain areas that are having more of that just quick boil activity. And just kind of stay in that area, and it's going to increase your chances. One thing I would recommend is using a lure that you can get a long cast on. But when they're boiling, you need to keep it in that top foot to two foot of the water column. So, You may have to retrieve it really fast to get it going so that you can catch some of those fish that are aggressively feeding. All right, Brad, if people want to book a trip with you or want more information, how do they get a hold of you? You can uh, look me up on Facebook at Brad Peterson Outdoors or give me a call at 303-829-3998. All right. Thank you, my friend. You and I need to get on the water here soon. Yes, we do. All right. Thanks, Brad. You're welcome. You bet. Brad Peterson, Brad Peterson Outdoors. By the way, that white bass he's talking about, uh, if you go to my YouTube channel, Best Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, there's some television shows on there that we shot uh, targeting those white bass. And when you get into them, it can be just phenomenal. I'll tell you what we're going to do is we're going to take a time out here. When we come back, we're going to wrap some things up, um, talk about some giveaways, talk about what the cool nights are doing to all the activity, game and fish. That and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. If you like what you've been hearing today, we normally are on the fan from 9 to 11 every Saturday morning, 104.3 The Fan. Occasionally, a football game comes up and we get bumped over to our sister station at ESPN here. In fact, we'll be here again next week. But if you like the information, first of all, follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We'll tell you if we're getting moved. We'll give you some ideas about what's coming up on the show. If we do trivia, which we do off and on with some really great prizes, the answer to the trivia question, are my producer and wife Karen almost always 
posts that on our Facebook page prior um, in the week prior to when we ask the question so you can kind of cheat and get the answer and be all ready to go. And we give away some great prizes. And speaking of prizes, we're doing our dog training questions, which we can will accept uh, the questions up till the 12th of October. And here's what how it's going to work. You go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook and pin to the top of the page is a is a post uh, about our dog trainer, Ben Garcia from Hideaway Kennels. Tremendous dog trainer. He's asking for your questions. So then after the 12th, he'll come on the following Saturday and then maybe some Saturdays after. And we'll answer as many of those questions as we can. And if don't worry if you duplicate the question because that somebody else put in because that will that will tell us there's a lot of interest. We'll make sure we get to that. We're going to answer as many as we can. And if you have two questions, make them a separate comment. Go to that post, put them in the comments. If you don't have Facebook, you can email me, terrywickstromoutdoors at gmail.com and email your questions. Everybody that enters is going to get put in a drawing. And we're going to give away your choice between three free oil changes at... Um, Prestige Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Longmont. I get my vehicle ser- uh, service there. Certified technicians, they do a fantastic job. You're in and out like in a half an hour. It's just a, a full, they just really do it right. And if you're in that area, a free oil change there is worth its weight in gold. And this is three free oil changes. Now, the other option would be a $50 gift card to Colorado Clays. You can use it any, for any of their shooting uh, facilities out at their place, whether it's pistol, rifle, uh, handgu- uh, handguns and shotguns, clays, traps, skeet. You can apply it to any of that. So that will be the choices. But we need your dog training questions. You'll be surprised how many great questions we've got already and how interesting they're going to be. And you're going to want to tune in to hear the answers, too, because a lot of people acquired dogs over the last year or two because of COVID, and they're struggling a little bit. We're going to help you out with all that. Now, the weather is changing. You know, the nights are getting cooler. We're going to head for some warmer weather here over the next, oh, this next week. I didn't look out much further than that, but it's going to be mid to high 70s, so it's going to be beautiful out. But the nights are still very cool down in the 40s, and the daylight period is short. So contrary to the spring, when we get this cold weather that comes in and it slows down animal and fish activity, in the fall it signals to the to the game and to the fish that, Winter's coming, and they have to fatten up. In addition to fish, it stresses a lot of the bait fish they eat and really puts them on the feed bag. So what will happen now is that fishing is going to get better and better, actually, until we freeze up. You know, Granby, the, the, the lake trout are spawning. This is when you can go get those 30, 40 fish days up at Granby. The, we heard talked about the white bass out at uh, Boyd Lake. The walleyes, we talked about walleyes and panfish earlier in the first segment of the show. And by the way, everything here will eventually end up on my page at The Fan as a podcast. And we'll put several of those podcasts, uh, we'll put them on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And so you can, in case you missed it, you can go right to it. So this is the time to really spend some time fishing. A lot of avid anglers are in the field. They're not fishing anymore. Football has started, youth sports has started, kids are back in school. So what's happening a lot is there's some of the best fishing of the year, and it's not crowded, so you want to get out there. For you waterfall hunters, it's just kicking off. Now, this next week, we've got some real blue sky weather coming up. 
don't let that dissuade you because early in the year, these birds haven't been harassed. They're not educated. You can get them to come down into shooting range. You may take you a little longer during the day, um, but those good high skies early shouldn't prevent you from really doing well. And as we get some bad weather, make sure you're out on one of those reserve blinds. We're going to wrap it up. I want to say thanks to Michael for running the board. Thanks to Karen for putting this together. Remember, we'll be back here on ESPN at uh, the same time, 10 to noon next week. And then we'll be back at our regular time and station at 9 to 11 on 104.3 The Fan after that. And hopefully you'll join us, follow us on Facebook, go to our YouTube channel. We'll see you next week on 1600 ESPN.